The following episode may contain explicit language and spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Still, we're back. We're back. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm scared that uh, we are going to cause controversy. Hello and welcome to What's Your Fandom, the podcast where myself and my good friend Stuart journey through the fandoms of film, TV, games, books and comics, flying our geek flags and talking our way through the multiverses. All of them. My name is Mike and in this episode we are here to discuss the rise and fall of the MCU. Say hello, Stu. Ooh, hello, Stu. How the devil are you? I'm excellent. I, it's been a little while since we've recorded. It has, isn't it? Yeah. We've had a wee break. We have. Some of us rather selfishly went on holiday. Yes. To a yeah. sunny place. I went to a sunny place and I caught one of those, um, is it a tan? Is that what it's called? I wouldn't know. Like a, yes, a, a, a darker shade of my original self. A darker shade of white. <laughs> Yeah. Of tail. <laughs> yeah, I've gone from, I've gone from like a sort of, um, gone from a kind of like a, an A4 white to okay. a kind of a, a bone white. Oh, wow. How marvelous. No, genuinely, did you have a nice time? It was, it was lovely. Thank you. Yes. Uh, nice break. Oh, that's cool. Yes. It was nice to get away and put on a pair of shorts. Um, yeah, a bit different for me to wear shorts, like, but I've got a couple of pairs now, so... Yeah. Wow, a couple of pairs of shorts. Yes. Good grief, you are living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Stuart, we are going to be talking about this rather, rather juicy title of an episode slash series of episodes because this is the rise and fall of the MCU, and here today we're going to be talking about Phase One specifically. So, as this was your idea. <laughs> you can tell me and the listeners why the rise and fall ah right okay just to cause controversy no the reason <laughs> is because I think um, and I can't speak for everybody but I think the way that the Marvel projects I say projects because we've got to consider that we have TV shows as well as films I know um, so it's interesting the way the Marvel Universe has developed now, and I genuinely think it's fairly safe to say that um, fans are probably feeling like oversaturated with the Marvel content, and I think the quality of the films overall, I think, has dropped quite a bit, and that got me thinking, like, where did it go wrong? Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite interesting, actually, as if we, we're going to start today talking about phase one and we'll have subsequent episodes taking in each phase. And we haven't really done a deep dive into any Marvel projects yet. And we're both big Marvel fans. Well, we were. <laughs> oh, 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 that was a that was a glove off slap across the face, yeah, and that. I loved it. <laughs> take that, <laughs> <laughs> No, it is interesting what you're saying, and I think that there is a general feeling of that sort of 
lo- not losing interest. That might be the other, other wrong phrase, but from my point of view, a kind of a lack of excitement about the next project, a sort of lack of, um, well, even going to the cinema to see these things now is becoming less and less. And I wonder whether that is because we do know that in a very short time it'll be on Disney+. Plus. Mm. It could be that, mind. That could be what's stopping me. Plus, apparently, I don't know if you know this, but the cinema where I live is more expensive than the cinema where you live. And just to clarify, we live 10 miles apart. Well, which cinema do you go to? I go to the Odeon in Llanelli. That's where I go. And Oh, do you? Yeah, it's closer. It, did, did you know that if you go to the Odeon in Swansea, you will pay about half the price of the ticket? Is it? Yes. Oh, ta-da, Llanelli. Right? <laughs> this is a, and this is a problem. But, I mean, this is just me getting going on a rant now. But why? Why on earth? Why? Why? Hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, obviously cost of living comes into these things. You know, we're living in a time where everything is more expensive and the cinema is definitely a luxury, especially if we are already paying for the streaming service. But it's not just about the cost. It's because I love the cinema. Mm. I just really do love the whole experience of the cinema. I love giving the film my undivided attention. Well, you know, except for complaining about the idiots behind me eating their food or <laughs> or they've been talking or on their phones or kicking, scratching, sniffing. Honestly, what is wrong with people? I just feel like the world is filled with the wrong kind of people. Yes. And they're all at the cinema when I'm there. <laughs> but I digress. Um, I think that there's, there's certainly a lack of enthusiasm from me personally about all the projects that are coming up. I mean, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I haven't even watched She-Hulk. Really? Haven't even put it on. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have a desire to. But the thing is about the, the MCU is that to to really to really enjoy it, you've got to watch it all. Yes. Mm. I think this may be... A f- maybe this could be a flaw. Because um, think that, right? If you... like. We're well over 25 movies or 25 projects into the MCU right now. And because they love their callbacks and references and setups, is anybody going to be able to get into Marvel movies at this stage and really know everything that's going on? That is a fascinating question because I have two very contrasting answers in my opinion. The first answer would be you're right, this is this is bad because you're alienating a new audience who's going to think, well, I'm not going to go and see Iron Man, not Iron Man 3, that's been out a long time. Um, I'm not going to go and see Quantumania, Ant-Man 3, because I haven't seen the other 26 that there's been before it. Mm. And it's the last part of a trilogy. And, it, you know, what, what relevance does that have to me? It's just not, you're right, it's not necessarily going to appeal to that person. However, there is also the audience... That exists and my nephew is one of these um he's one of us by the way um who will go on to disney plus etc and just devour everything once they get into something they realize it's part of a of a of a big longer story and will watch everything involved in that and become mm. obsessed and understand understand it all and kind of want to learn everything about it so yeah. i feel like there's two camps there and yes. and I think I think it'll still get the kids because the kids are streaming and watching these things at home, 
and they've got their iPads and stuff now, haven't they? They can watch it in their hands. They haven't got to go to the cinema. Yeah. So yeah, there's a uh, two two kind of sides to that coin, but you raise a very valid point. Yeah, I just think, I mean, like my son's not really watched the Marvel movies, um, and part of the other reason for that as well, I think, is because the majority of them are quite long films. They are long films. Yeah, some of them are like two hours, two and a half hours. I mean, there's, you know, you're not going to get a Marvel movie that's like 90 minutes here. No, that's true. Is he aware, though, of that it all exists? Because your 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 influence must be <laughs> passing down the generations, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is, this is the thing, though, sometimes, is that, like, I can't even, like, think of an example. No, yeah, this would be a good example. It's like he tried watching Spider-Man Homecoming and like Iron Man was in it. And I was trying to explain. I was just like, I was like, oh, yeah, Spider-Man's not quite an Avenger yet. And then he was like looking at me as if to say, like, what's an Avenger? And See, there's, there's already a backstory. Yeah. There's too much exposition mm. beyond the films. Mm. And I tell you, I guess I kind of missed out on a little bit of this as well, because when, um, I'm trying to think now, when Endgame came out, when I saw that in the cinema, the moment at the start, do you mean um, Scott Lang comes out of the quantum realm? Yes. The rat hit that button or whatever. Yes. Everyone in the cinema was like, oh, yes. That was lost on me because I never saw Ant-Man and the Wasp. So Interesting. I didn't, I was like, uh, you know, I was like, oh, okay, obviously he got caught up in the snap, but I didn't know how or why or whatever. And then I came out to the cinema, one of the boys was telling me, he's like, oh yeah, he goes into the quantum realm just as the snap happens and he can't get back out. So I was like, oh, yeah. okay. And then I watched the scene of it or whatever. Like, um, But that's the thing. You know, I haven't seen every Marvel movie. There's a good... I mean, we're not talking about the recent ones now. Sort of around the sort of time of Infinity War Endgame. Probably about one or two. Like, I didn't see Spider-Man Far From Home. Didn't see that. And I didn't see Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, but then I continued then with the other films, you know. So with um, Spider-Man, No Way Home, and like Endgame and stuff. But yeah, the sort of in-between films, I didn't catch all of them. So there were a couple of, couple of little gaps there. But then it's like, oh, geez. All right, fair play to them, right? They've created, they have created a very coherent cinematic universe overall. Yes, yes. But the problem is, you're not going to catch everything if you're missing out on a couple of films. I think that Phase One does this very well, though. Mm. I think I think it starts off quite strong because originally, and and it it is kind of like this still. That there would the, the film would be its own story, and then it'd be one or two scenes that would then connect it or lead you to the next film. Often they'd be post-credit scenes or a character would come into one of the films in the middle and sort of, and then disappear and then they'd appear somewhere else. So if you were sort of an eagle-eyed viewer who wanted to connect them all, you could connect them all, but it wasn't the main focus of the, the whole franchise. Yes. So I think that, I think the balance was quite good at the beginning. And also it was quite fun of personally um, looking out for those things and being yes. like, oh, well, that means that's going into Captain America. 
And mm-hmm. I feel that that kind of thing was quite exciting at the time. Oh, totally, yes. Because it had never been done. That's right. Yeah. I actually, when I watched the first Iron Man film, I can't remember if I saw it in the cinema or not, but I remember having it on DVD. And, you know, for ages, I didn't even know about the post credit scene. Really? I didn't know it was a thing. Because I heard some people saying, like, oh, it looks like Samuel Jackson's going to be Nick Fury. And I was like, oh, maybe that's for, like, the next film. And then I saw a clip on YouTube, and I was like, oh, my God, what's this? And I remember running upstairs to my DVD and putting it on and being like, there it what is. the hell? And finding this post credits scene. I felt like I found like, a sort of hidden treasure. Actually, let's talk about how genius this was. That they're just, just the putting in of the post credit scene to lead to the next film that isn't necessarily the sequel to the film you're watching. Mm-hmm. What a cl- bloody clever idea. Yes. No, it was brilliant. And obviously, it's not like it was like the first ever post credit scene, but it was the first post credit scene that could truly lead on. And, and not only did it say it was going to lead on to something, but it actually did lead on to something else. Because I've seen post-credit scenes for films where they try and set something up and then it goes tits up or whatever. Like they did it with the Green Lantern movie. They had a post-credit scene where Sinestro puts on the yellow lantern ring and they were trying to say, like, he's going to be the next big baddie. And obviously the film flopped and didn't go anywhere. Well, this is the other thing that the the post-credit scene, it's a gamble Mm -hmm. because you don't know how the film is going to be received and probably more importantly to these people, how much money it's going to make. And in order for this whole thing to have worked, there were several films in this phase one that had to be a success. Yes. Individually, they had to win over the audience in order to bring them in for the bigger story. Yes. So phase one started with Iron Man. Correct. Back in the day, Iron Man. Um, and I, like you, didn't see this in the cinema. I don't even remember if I saw it on DVD. I may have even watched it on TV for the first time. Mm. Because it was not a superhero that I was overly familiar with. And, I mean, my question really is, at the point of the release of Iron Man, obviously there was the post credit scene that led into the other stuff. But... Mm. Was it sort of outwardly discussed in the fandom and to the fans that this is the start of the MCU, this is phase one of this, we're going to be leading to the Avengers? Like, was that was that a conversation? I honestly don't know. I think they must have had something in mind. Because apparently they had to recon a post credit scene for The Incredible Hulk. Because Incredible Hulk came out the same year, but it came out after Iron Man 1. So it came up between Iron Man and Iron Man 2. Yes, it did. Most credit scene for that is Tony Stark goes to see General Ross and his line is, you know, what if I told you we were putting a team together? And then Ross like, who's we? And then Tony Stark like smokes. And I think that was meant to be I think we as fa- you know, as as viewers, we meant to think Tony Stark at this point is an Avenger and he's recruiting for the Avengers. Yes, that's what it but, sounds like. Yeah. But apparently they had to make like some sort of short movie to kind of like wreck on that scene. I haven't seen what the short movie is. I don't know what it is. But apparently there's something out there where they've had to kind of sort of adjust things a little bit because it wasn't quite right. Because by the time Iron Man 2 rolls around, that's 
that's when Nick Fury is properly trying to say to him, we need to see if you're suitable to be an Avenger. That's right. And so it ends up going that way. Um, so, and yeah, that, I, I think, was a successful decision. I think that Nick Fury's part in this phase is was really good. Yes. It was a big tick for me. I liked seeing him pop up. I liked seeing what he was doing in recruiting these people and how it all connected. And he really was the kind of glue at that point that brought and stuck everyone together. Yes. Yeah, I kind of felt like when he, whenever he was like on screen, I was kind of like, oh, I wonder what he's up to now. Like, who has yes. he just recruited? Very mysterious or, character. You know, I, speaking of somebody who didn't know anything about the, the the Avengers as like a as a bigger story, who Nick Fury was. You know, I knew the name Iron Man, didn't know anything about Iron Man. The Incredible Hulk, I knew a bit more about. Um, kind of knew of all these characters, but didn't know more than that. Yeah. And I think that I probably represented quite a lot of the general populace at that point. Yes. We're just we're just kind of vaguely aware that they exist, but not not really know w- what it all meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't really know much about Iron Man um, beyond the fact that he was just a cocky rich guy that had an armored suit. So, what did you think of the first Iron Man film? It was great. It's a good film, and I think it still holds up now. I think it's um, it's a good superhero origin movie. I feel like it's quite different to a lot of other origin movies, or maybe a lot of other Marvel origin movies. It's mm. got a kind of uh, grown-up uh, kind of... I guess because we're talking about war and weapons and selling weapons and and that kind of, and that kind of the business of war makes yeah. it a lot more grown up than you know Thor and his magic hammer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's almost there's a bit of politics in there, isn't there? Um, mm. And that's it's good for his character as well because obviously his decision to you know to become like Iron Man and to get his his weapons like off the table for you know these other countries and stuff like he obviously felt like he had a responsibility to do that because they were his weapons and they got into yeah. the wrong hands and all that and yeah that was good that was a good arc like because he wasn't like i mean you know he was fighting the iron monger by the end wasn't he which was yes. Obadiah stain mm-hmm. but not that was just another guy in like an armored suit and i think that was a good move they didn't start with like you know a crazy ass like giant supervillain. No. I quite quite like that. It felt quite grounded in kind of I know it's science fiction and fantasy, but in science Yes. It felt like a a, a semi plausible story that could ha- could happen in this modern time. Like if you yes. if you know what I mean, it could be happening with somebody with money with access to all that technology as well as having the brains I could mm. see it happening, you know? Yeah. I think it's a great film. I really enjoy it. It's been a really long time since I've watched it. But I remember thinking it was just quite different to, like, when you watched a Superman film. Mm. It's got quite a different tone, which I respected. And yeah. I respect. Mm. It holds up really well, doesn't it? And I think as well, like, I know a lot of people have said this, but... The you know the final scene of the film where he decides to tell people that he is Iron Man. Apparently, that was 
that was Robert Downey Jr.'s input. Wow. And I think, I don't know how much of an input that is, because often people say that, don't they? Like, they give all the yeah. credit to the actors. He said the lines. Like, how much influence did he really have? I don't know, right? But, I mean, it's quite a clever thing to do, because the secret identity thing with superheroes... Oh, it's, know, it, it's done to death, wouldn't it, by that it's point? Done, it's done to death, and it can get super messy as well, and it's that whole thing of, like... You know, it's like, oh, you've just come back from being captured by terrorists, and there's a guy flying around in an armored suit at the same time. So it's the basic, like, oh, it's like a thing with like Batman, isn't it? He goes away for like seven years to train as a ninja, comes back as Bruce Wayne, and at the same time, you know, there's a vigilante going around the city, like, as he turns back up, kind of thing. So it's like, Come on, it's exactly. clearly you. Like, plus, plus, it fits with his character. This kind of the the bravado, the kind of the kind of spoilt, clever, rich boy, man, child that he is. Like, why wouldn't he want to be like, yeah, I'm Iron Man. Yeah, bring it on. Give me credit. Him. Yeah, you know, and 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 at that point as well, obviously, having gone through the film, his politics and his ethos have changed mm-hmm. from selling weapons to the highest bidder to being a bit more moral which is yes. a really good arc like you said mm. so a very positive kind of start i think a really positive start i do think that the tone in iron man which is what makes it stand out does get lost a bit as we move forward through phase one and the other phases it becomes a lot more kind of shiny and comic-y and magical and fantasy this is a, this is kind of the realism pot point i think of the franchise yes. and i think it kind of that gets watered down as we go along totally. which it, which it was going to have, to have to do because of well the magic hammers yes and the raccoons and the raccoons etc um so the incredible hulk being the next film in this phase now I have seen it. I think I've seen it maybe two or three times. Mm. And as it stands right now, I remember very little about it. Yeah, the thing with the Incredible Hulk is that it's very it's part of the MCU, but it's not like it's um like Probably if you because watch... he's got a different actor as well playing the main part. It feels yeah. like something that they've they've they put in there, but they've also tried to forget. They've intentionally yeah. not kind of advertised it and pushed it as part of being part of the MCU. Yes. I don't know why I said it like that. Yeah, the that's... MCU. But there it is. <laughs> I think um yeah, if you were to look at like continuity of like phase one, you could easily skip Incredible Hulk. And you wouldn't have to really watch it to get what's going on like. That's... Agreed. Yeah. There's nothing nothing jumps to mind that I need to know about the Hulk. No. Not really. Because even Which... the whole the whole story of is it in the Avengers when Bruce Banner is saying about how he basically tried to shoot himself? It's not like yes. that scene that scene wasn't in the Incredible Hulk. So had that scene no. been in it, then it would have made more sense. It would have been an actual callback. But that I think that further displays that they were trying to distance themselves from uh, Edward Norton's depiction. Yeah. Their own thing, like. Yeah. Uh, I just remember when when I've seen it that, if I'm honest, I've probably been on my phone a lot of the time 
and it didn't grip me and it is definitely the flaw in phase one yes it's the, it's the lowest point of phase one and i think that like like i said i don't think at this point when the incredible hulk came out i'm not sure they were marketing it as the second part in a bigger story it was just marketed as the incredible hulk and there was this extra scene like you said that could link it to iron man to make it part of it if it was a success but of course it, i don't know if it was a success i mean certainly i i mean in terms of general opinion i don't think it was a success no i think they did have issues and they with um with edward norton they said he was difficult to work with and stuff yes um I don't know in terms of, um, like in terms of the finances. Well, I have it in front of me, as you say. Um, apparently, the film grossed two hundred and sixty-four point eight million dollars worldwide, which is the lowest-grossing film of the MCU. Well, and it says here that Norton disagreed with Marvel over the final edit of the film, and then was replaced by Mark Ruffalo. Well. It's a bit of a strange one as well because I mean it's hard not to I know I know we're only talking about phase one, but it's hard not to talk about the whole of the MCU because of course Liv Tyler has been cast and announced to be returning as the character she played in this film. Oh, Betty Ross. But I forget in what next project for the MCU. I know she's been announced and she's been cast, mm. but I can't remember where she's popping up again. That's interesting. Hmm. Wonder what to so, do now. That is certainly making it, well, bringing it back into the fold, I guess, in a kind yeah. of in in a, in a in a slight light way. But it's not. It's just not. It's just. I don't think it's a very good film. Otherwise, I'd have watched it again. I'd know. I'd have more to talk about it. Say about it. You know, in this conversation. I do think it's got some good scenes. I do remember. Oh, okay. Tell me. Well, I remember there's a scene. I, I was actually quite gutted about it when I saw it on TV because. They end up cutting the scene out because it was on ITV and it was before the watershed. All right. But it's when um, Bruce Banner basically gets cornered at the university by the army, and at this point they've got um, abomination. Um, I can't remember the soldier's name now, but they've given him the experimental super soldier drug. Okay. But at this point, it's basically just given him super strength slash super speed, the generic. Like buff up, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he squares up to the Hulk as a human, and he's like, "Is that all you got?" And then the Hulk just like boots him into like a tree. But I remember okay. like watching. I just remember watching that, and then when I watched it on TV, just as Hulk is about to boot him, it like cuts, and then you just see like, um, the, you know, the Abomination character just like kind of getting launched, like, and it's like, oh, I missed the actual kick. Got it. Oh, I see. Damn the watersheds. Damn the watersheds. Yes. Mm. All because one person complained. Just the one. <laughs> Just the one. That, that's um, how it goes, Stu. Yes. That's all it mm. takes. But no, I do think... I think Incredible Hulk... I'm tempted to watch it again just to sort of see because, like, it's been a while since we've seen it. And like I say, I do think it's got a couple of good scenes. Um, the design of the Hulk himself looks pretty cool. Obviously, it's improved... Where Marvel have stepped in with their CGI and the oh visuals, God, yeah. it actually looks like they managed to make Mark Ruffalo's Hulk 
Like he still looks like Mark Ruffalo when he is the Hulk. Clever, isn't it? I like that. Whereas with Edward Norton, it's like this is Edward Norton, and then this is like Incredible Hulk. It's yeah, so it kind of loses that connection a bit. Yeah, but you can see as well then that you know. So um, as as we speak, I'm also oh guys, I'm doing some light googling slash Wikipediaing hashtag <laughs> research. But like it says, here, so Iron Man did um, gross over five hundred and eighty five million dollars. So that's like double what the Incredible Hulk took. So you can see why they then thought, well, that was a success. Let's jump straight back and do Iron Man two. Totally. And yes. it was just two two years after the first the first one, which is kind of a, a fairly standard pattern for a sequel to a successful film. A couple of years later, have another one. And Iron Man two, I think, is a really good film. It is, isn't it? It is quite a good one. I think it's it's good, but this I don't know. Oh, what's holding you back, Stuart? What's going on? You know what? I think I haven't seen it in a while. Okay, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't keen on Justin Hammer. Is that's that Mickey the... Rock's character? No, that's no, um, Sam. Oh, what's his name? He played. Uh... You've seen the Green Mile? Yes. Oh, yes. Wild Bill. Yes. Yeah. What's his name? I can't remember the actor's oh, name. No, I can't. Anyway, wasn't keen on his character because, like, I don't know. I could see the angle they were going for, okay. the hammer, hammer tech, and all that. It was, it was kind of cool. And it's another example. And if Sam if Rockwell, sorry, it just I, I, that's who it is. Sam Rockwell. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So it's obviously another example of like what happens if Stark weapons fall into the wrong hands again. But then. It's like they had two villains in that film, and they, they each did. had their own motivations, didn't they? This is kind of a pattern in Iron Man films, though, because in the third one, there's two villains as well. Yes. But I really enjoyed... I actually enjoyed Mickey Rourke's character in, in Iron Man 2, and and he felt like a really credible threat mm. and, a, and a step up from the first film, which is what you want from a sequel. Yes. So I quite like that. I didn't mind Sam Rockwell's character of being kind of like the other, trying to trying to create other technology that will that will rival Iron Man and and also make him very rich. I was okay with that. It it it, it was it was plausible to me that mm-hmm. would be the next that would be that would happen in this world. So that I didn't have a problem with. And I, then I quite liked um, you know Scarlett Johansson coming in. Mm-hmm. And and uh, seeing a bit more Samuel L. Jackson, it felt at this point they'd made a decision. Yes, the the people in charge that from now we're going to be actually giving it a bit more of an effort and putting a bit more of a spotlight on creating a series. Like we're going to lead up to something. We're going to do it. And this is the film for me that kind of just, where they were like, yes, we're going for it. Do you know what I think it is? Well, that I'm not keen on in this film. Well, um. I think, and it's obviously it's intentional. It's, this is how it's kind of meant to make you feel. Is that I really felt like Tony Stark in Iron Man One. It's like okay, he's a bit cocky, but now he's become Iron Man, so he has the bit more of a moral compass. I felt like in Iron Man Two, he's more of an asshole than ever. <laughs> You're right. And I do genuinely when I'm watching it, like obviously RDJ is like he's fantastic. He is Iron Man, like in the first. Oh, he is Iron Man. Um, 
but I, I genuinely get quite irritated watching him on screen because I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but I just I just don't like the way Tony Stark is in that film. Like he treats Pepper like shit. He makes her like CEO or whatever, but then he just kind of pushes her to one side and he does. But that's part of the character arc, I guess. So maybe I'm supposed to feel that when I watch it. I, I think you are, because if you think about the longer story for Tony Stark, um, his sort of um I say redemption story because it is sort of a redemption story as yes. well as accepting his his responsibilities um, and becoming a father figure to Peter Parker and things as we go on that is quite a slow burn of a story and a change in his character when we see him at the beginning and I think that this kind of film highlights to me the kind of old habits die hard and he does have all this money and all this intelligence and all this fame. And he had fame before, but now he's Iron Man. He's the prob- the most famous person in the world. Mm. And I think that fame corrupts. Yeah. And he was, was trying to do a good thing and be a good person. But he is still only human. He's not Superman. Yes. And so I think this, that kind of side of his character does like highlight him and lift him to a different type of person. And I quite liked that. But I, I think it's, I think you're right. He's meant to be a bit of a dick, but you're meant to sort of love him anyway. And by the end, when he does step up um, and there's, for me, quite an iconic scene with him and, um, oh, Good grief, John Don Cheadle's character. What's his character called? A war machine. War machine. Thank you. You know, in with the with the cherry blossoms around them, and they and they they have to fight together. That's that sticks in my brain very visually. Yes. I thought that was great. Yeah, I think wasn't that like pretty much like the first sort of team up they'd had at that point in the MCU. Yes, yes, I think it was. Yeah, that was pretty cool, and seeing them like because they had their own kind of. I think at that point as well, like War Machine suit, although you could say it's kind of an Iron Man suit, it's very unique compared to Iron Man suit. It's it different, is. isn't it? It is different. And I like that. Yeah. Well, that was really good. Yeah, but I think, I don't know what it is. Maybe we need to watch Iron Man 2 again. I think, I don't know. I mean, interestingly enough as well, that as a is a sequel. And it it grossed over six hundred and twenty three point nine million, more than the first. So more than the first, and three times as much as the Incredible Gee. Hulk. Yeah. Um. So that's fascinating. Mm. So they realise they've hit onto a good thing, and this is also the thing about the where the studio gets involved now. So if they've got their main character, and in both films he's a bit of a dick who becomes a bit better, a bit, a bit less of a dick. <laughs> um, but in in but I'm saying dick like it's a bad thing, Stuart. I don't necessarily mean he's an arsehole. There's a <laughs> I just mean like he's just he's human. He's flawed, yes. and I think as humans we like watching stories about people who are a bit shit turning good yes you know um and i think that's something that they they really did cling on to but then then the next step they go to thor next kenneth branagh directing obviously 
and this is the year after Iron Man 2, mm-hmm. and very, very different in tone and everything. Yes. How do you feel about Thor? What's your general opinion? I remember when that film first came out, um, I didn't know if I was going to like Thor, because I didn't know much about the Norse mythology and anything like that. Obviously, Marvel's version's different. Yes, yes. Um, but no, for a while, it was my favourite Marvel movie. Really? It was my first ever Blu-ray. <laughs> um, wow. And I loved it. And I thought, shit, this is like so cool. Like It almost... I was like, I can't believe that this is like a Marvel film. And I think Thor's um, Thor's arc in that film is good because it's almost it's a bit prodigal sonish, isn't it? Like he's yes. he goes from like this cocky, arrogant prince that you know his ego gets the better of him. He starts a war with Frost Giants, gets banished to Earth, and then the fact that he has to prove his worth, so he now has to go through, you know, like living in like a mortal's body and stuff, and he can't just like he just, he thinks like oh if I just go to my home and pick it up I'd be fine, and it's like no it doesn't work like that. He's actually got to prove that he's worthy, and yeah. I like that. That was a strong. I don't know. It was like a strong plan to like how you can develop a character, but again yes. that's where it's that's where it's similar to Iron Man, isn't it? It's where it is. You take a character that's a bit of a dick, <laughs> um, and you take away the things that. You know, that sort of make them feel powerful. Yes. And then basically tell them, right, you've got to start again now from scratch. Yeah. And then they prove to the audience and to yourself that you are the hero that you think you are. Yes. And if you can do that, we will come with you. Mm. Fantastic yeah. cast in this film. Totally. Like a fantastic cast. Perfectly done. Mm. Yes. I really enjoyed Anthony Hopkins. Oh. Like, He's just brilliant. I mean, he's brilliant in everything. He can do no wrong. He can't. All he's got to do, keep your Welsh accent and shout at people. That's all he's got to do. Oh, and I love him. Yes. He's brilliant in it. And yeah, I think as as Odin, he was um, a be- like a really believable character. Obviously, we're in a realm now, and we're in Asgard. So yes. we're in a completely different set of rules. Um, and that that in itself is quite a difficult thing to kind of grasp as as thinking about this as part of a larger story how different the worlds can be i mean if you watch iron man one then watch thor one you've got to be in a very different mood haven't you totally Mm. yeah and obviously we cannot forget tom hiddleston nope i mean oh i mean probably the breakout star from this yes he he has risen so high from playing an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I sense a pattern here. No, but he's also like a, a deeply flawed individual that everybody wants to see good, mm. wants to see turn good, and yeah. it's yeah. He but he's brilliant in this. In this, he's so good. I really think the what is one scene in Thor that like that tops everything for me. And it's the moment, the moment he finds out he was a frost giant. When he's doing you know, it's just him and Odin. Yes. And he sees the casket of Jodenheim. Oh, like Tom Hiddleston's acting in that. Do you know when he's like pleading with his father to like tell yeah. him? Yeah. Ob- obviously, 
you know, Tom Hiddleston's like a professional actor. But when he screams the words, tell me, it's like anger, desperation. Yeah. yeah. He just wants the truth because he's oh. been cast out like and so powerful. So many layers. Mm-hmm. That boy knows how to act. Yes. I mean, as does Natalie Portman, because I feel like I I really like her in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh and I obviously is this is this pre or post Star Wars with her? Post. Post. So, you know, she 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 was in Star Wars. <laughs> um <laughs> she she did what she could with what she was given. Yes. Um but here it felt a lot more organic and it it I, I believed her character. I, yeah. I did, and, and and I just thought her and her I mean Stellan Skarsgard with her and um oh god, what is the name of the girl who I absolutely adore? Oh, she I was in Two Broke Cat. Girls. Yes, her from Two Broke Girls. The cat something who came back recently in WandaVision? WandaVision? WandaVision, yes. Yes? Played, I bloody uh, love her. She played Darcy, didn't she? Darcy, I bloody love her. More Darcy, please. I want more Darcy. That is what I would like. Um, I thought that was a great little team of clever investigators working on the fringe of society reminds me a bit of i know it sounds weird but it reminded me a bit of twister <laughs> like driving around finding things trying to get, get in on the action yes. with all their science i loved i loved that i thought it was that was quite believable as well yes well that was very good and i also found in that film i did notice the first time because obviously this goes back to like the layers of marvel movies and these references that some people will catch, some people will miss. I didn't know, not until I watched Avengers, I didn't know Hawkeye was in the first mm. Thor movie. I knew you were going to say that. It was really? very cleverly, lightly seeded in there. He was mm. given, uh, he was very mysterious character that wasn't integral to the plot. He was only in like a short period of the film. But you were sort of like, oh, that's quite an interesting character. But he, everything else over here is shiny. Let's look over there and look at that instead. Mm-hmm. And then if you wanted to know more, you'd be like, that's Hawkeye. Who's Hawkeye, yeah. you say? Well, he's another character. He has a comic. Is there going to be a film about him? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not. Um, but, you know, <laughs> no. But you know, what, you know what I mean? It's um, it was quite, that, That's where this was cleverly done. And actually, while we're on that subject, can we talk about Clark Gregg and his mm. role in, well, all of this? Because he yes. is kind of a similar thread to uh, Samuel L. Jackson, really. His, mm. they, they go hand in hand. And he... And his part was done very well, I think. Yes. You cared for this man that you knew so little about and saw so little of. Yeah. I don't know how he did that. Yeah. He was he was great as Coulson. Um have you have you seen the Marvel one shot of Phil Coulson? I don't think I have, but what happens in it, and if you remind me I might have seen it. It's literally like about a minute long. And obviously this is in Iron Man 2. You see the post credit scene where he basically phones up Nick Fury because they found Thor's hammer. That's right. Right. So, this Marvel one shot is called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to What's the Name of the Desert They Went to. The Desert. 
We'll call it the desert. Anyway. We'll, we'll call it the desert. Right. So, basically, he um, he's, he stops petrol at, like, a gas station. And uh, as he goes into the, you know, goes into the petrol station to, like, pay for stuff and all that, he's browsing. Two guys come in and hold the shop up. Oh, no, I've not seen this. This is brilliant, right? It's only literally about two minutes long. And he, like, sees them. And he basically tells them he's got a gun. And he, like, pulls the gun up, puts it on the floor to show that he's, like, unarmed. And then he just picks up, like, a bag of, like, flour. And he launches it at one guy's head. And then, like, there's a flying kick to the other guy. Wow. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> wow. That is awesome. And then he just pays for his petrol and then he fucking leaves. Oh, I love that. I'm going to have to YouTube it and I'll put a link in the show notes to anybody who hasn't seen it because I think that sounds really good and I haven't seen that. It's quite funny, though. I need. I, I enjoyed. Yeah, I think that. Um, I, I think side note as well about Thor, as I remember, as we're going down memory lane, is that this was a film that I went to see in 3D, because it was at a time when uh, I went to the cinema to see this, and it was in 3D, and yes. and that's when it was it was very trendy, wasn't it, to, to it film was. things in 3D? And I remember, obviously, you know my pain as a fellow glasses wearer of <laughs> balancing the 3D glasses in front of your or other glasses whilst they steam up on your face, and you're trying to be comfortable to watch the film. And and if I'm honest, I don't remember gaining anything from watching it in 3D. It was just what it was. Yes. But then since then, I've watched it, and actually, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. And interestingly, in terms of the financial success of the film, it earned over $449.3 million worldwide. So it smashed The Incredible Hulk very Mm. close behind the original Iron Man. So it really did kind of hold its own considering it's such a different mythology. Yes. And for me, coming to this film, I knew a little bit more about the kind of the the real, well, the Norse mythology rather than the Marvel Norse mythology. I knew a little bit about it and I thoroughly enjoyed those parts coming in. Yeah. I just, I just didn't, I thought it was a great, clever little thing that they did and so different to Iron Man, but, you know, a, a worthy sort of continuation of phase yeah. one. And then, and then, of course, we have Captain America, the first Avenger. Oh, yes. Captain America. This is a great film. Yes. Yeah, this is where um, Thor stopped being my favorite Marvel movie. Um, because Captain America became my new favorite Marvel movie. Wow, okay, that's cool. I understand why. Yeah. It's very well done. quite um something about watching things set during World War Two that I think speaks to a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. Perhaps because it's kind of living history, you know? It's not that long ago and it's sort of still still spoken about and still yes. fairly present in the kind of general um consciousness of everybody. That that I think that's got something to do with its popularity. You know, that sounds weird, but I do think it does. Yes. No, I completely agree. Um, and to be honest with you, I like I enjoyed the film, but I think this is one of the first times that I could look at the physique of a superhero and go, yep, that's relatable. 
You mean after he's been in the magic chamber and been in, uh, you know, put put through all those um, that gas and the magic experiments to make him um, a, a superhero? You mean then? Oh yes, clearly. Um, because I look at Chris Evans in this part, Stu, and honestly, I think of you. Yes. You can't not. No. The similarity is astounding. Yes. Plus, you walk around everywhere with a shield. I mean, of course, you've seen that. Yeah, you don't want to be looking at people or have people come near you. That's why you have the shield. Yeah. Although it doesn't come back when I throw it. Which we found out last week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I do find it uh, it's strange when you watch the film, isn't it? Because obviously they've they use them um, a mixture of like different CGI techniques for to make yes. Chris Evans look it's like yes. what, they dubbed him as Skinny Steve, didn't they? Because for some scenes, they had like a stunt man who was that build, and they CGI Chris Evans's face onto him. And then in other scenes, it was Chris Evans, but they CGI'd his body to make it look smaller. I think it depended on the scene. Yeah. Um, but really well done. Like I, I very think... well done. Just I'm gonna skip ahead really quick, and then we're gonna jump back for a sec. There was I can't remember which Marvel movie it was. It was much later on in the phases, but there was a scene where they had a flashback sequence and it showed skinny Steve Rogers talking to Bucky. And but because it was like much later on in the films, it was only a brief scene, but the CGI looked terrible. I think I know what scene you're talking about, but I genuinely can't remember which film it's from. I think it's to do with um Steve's mother had just passed away, I think. Right. And I think he was getting the house key for the house, and Bucky was with him. Um, I want to say it might have been. It must have been like Winter Soldier or something. I don't know. I don't Maybe know. Maybe later on. But either yeah. way, there was only a brief scene. But yeah, the CGI in that. I remember looking at it and thinking, "God, that looks awful." But then the one in Captain America: First Avenger, which you know predated the films, much better. And it was um, maybe it's because they had more scenes where he was like that, so they had to like tighten it up a little bit. They have no choice. He's the he's the star. Yeah, you know it. It was a big undertaking, um, and there there are there are a few things that I really love about this film. First of all, I'm going to say the cast again is a really great one. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones, Hugo yes. Weaving, Stanley Tucci. Sebastian Stan, um, oh Haley, thank you, Haley Atwell, love her so much. Um, Toby Jones, who's in everything. Who's that? Toby Jones. Toby Jones. He's um uh, the Red Skull's little scientist man. Oh, right. Oh, who, is, who is in everything? He has touched every film, <laughs> literally. Uh, genuinely, you find a franchise, he's there. Well, trust me. I'll keep an eye out for him. Oh, if oh, honestly, he's in everything. Fair play to him. Um, great cast, all pitched perfectly. Really good performances. I mean, the Red Skull. I think we all can say that we're absolutely gutted that Hugo Weaving didn't continue to play mm. the Red Skull and be the adversary that I think I wanted him to be for Captain America. Yes. I wanted him to be, you know, the Darth Vader to Luke Skywalker. I want him to be there and then to have more face-offs. <laughs> face-offs. See what yes. I did there? Um, 
I wanted more of that, and I, I do think it's a genuine shame that didn't happen. Mm. I remember being absolutely shocked and gutted when Bucky did fall off that train. Yeah. What th- a moment. Yeah, that was, that was like just genuinely shocking and i thought that's it for him like he's yeah he's gone like same i thought that was it yeah. and i loved the band of brothers you know the of the of that little team of the howling they, yeah i loved them absolutely yeah. i just i just they, they just i wanted more of them as well and i was sad that they mm. were done after this you know in a lot of ways i think the jumping ahead in time was a mistake for Captain America, I wanted more set in this world, perhaps just after the war. You know, and all I wanted to see a bit more of a of a kind of a period piece. That's why it has that charm because it is set in the past. Yeah, uh, I I think I did want more. I've made my peace with it now, but mm-hmm. at the time, I remember feeling a bit gutted that that was a that was it. But then again, maybe because it was a one and done again, that's why it's so special. That's why it works. That's why we want more because it was just the one, and that was that. Yes. You know, I think that it's got something, it's got it's got something special, and I and you know the chemistry between um, Steve Rogers and uh, the Haley Atwell's character. What on earth is her name? Peggy Carr. Yes, uh, they 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 they've they've genuinely got such good chemistry and and presence together on screen. Yes, I mean Tommy Lee Jones is just just walks around with presence anyway. <laughs> you could just read the dictionary and you'd be like, whoa. So I think that was amazing. I think that this has got a lot. But um, something that I really, really thought was clever and enjoyed was the fact that it was using the Norse mythology from Thor mm-hmm. with the the tree of life at the beginning and the Tesseract being hidden in it and yes. the Red Skull going there to get the power source and using that, that very clear, direct link to the previous film in the phase... Yes. But also not you didn't need to see Thor to watch Captain America. Mm. And that was very clever. Yes. And it was very um very Hitlerish of him, wasn't it? To like to yes. have like the you know, he wanted the power of a god and stuff like that. And so I thought that was in keeping with that kind of uh very warped perception um that he would have had, like. So I thought that was really yeah. interesting. And for the first time now, we have a story about a main character who isn't a dick. Yes. Who fall, who we're, we're waiting to fall from grace and to prove himself as a hero. This is a this is a boy who is uh is what what how how to describe him? He's just at the heart of gold. He wants to help. He wants he wants to fight, which is a bit of a mixed message for me. He wants to play his part, which I think is brilliant. You know, but it does also mean he wants to go to war to kill people, which is not necessarily the same vibe. Um, but do you know what I mean? They 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 balance that quite well. You're on his side, yes, and and you want him to 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 have the chance to prove himself. Mm. You know, and it's a shame he needed to go into a machine to become a superhero to prove himself. But if we if he didn't do that, we wouldn't be watching Captain America. True. Oh, that is but, true. but his mindset and his emotions were there. Yeah, he had the morals first, didn't he? Yes. Morals first, physique later. That is my plan. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I kidding? I don't have morals. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yes, no, it, uh, so a different tack this time with the hero and having a love story as well. They've all got love stories, but this one for some reason sticks in my mind as mm-hmm. a stronger love story. Yes. He's yeah. got a brother and a band of brothers and a and a person in charge who he respects, but also kind of will disobey if he has to. And and lest we forget about all the little musical sequences oh, in this film. I love a bit of wartime propaganda on a yes. Saturday night. Absolutely. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's done really well, actually. It's, it, it's supposed to be cheesy, but it could be really cheesy. But it yeah. doesn't make me cringe. No. It's very well balanced. Yes. This film, I think, has it all. It might does. be my might be one might be my favorite of the phase, actually. Mm. Yeah, it is a good one. Yeah, I think as well. Chris Evans is really good at this because he was. I'm trying to think. 2011, I think it was only 2009 when they did the last Fantastic Four movie, or it might have been 2007. Um, so weird for him to go playing Johnny Storm, like a cocky teenager. To then go into play like Captain America, and I just think yeah. that transition. But isn't really... it strange? But as as Johnny Storm, he's playing the Dick, who yes. has to has to kind of you know pr- step up and become a hero, mm. and you kind of love him. Yeah, completely. Yeah, and then it just. It's almost role reversal in a way. Almost role reversal, but I quite like that. He, this is a different tact. I like that they did this. Mm. Yes. No, it was very good. I think it was um, to avoid like repeating like the same sort of well, ironically in it because like this is where they're at now. Yeah. To avoid the sort of like the repetitions of character development early on. I mean, think about how fresh this phase is so far. Yeah. We have got um, a Iron Man which was, you know, a semi-realistic war, just very different in tone to all the other films, kind of more adult in a way. I don't think necessarily this was aimed at children. No. I, I, I just, I just, I don't see it. I don't, I, that's not the vibe I get from it. To then, you know, we're going to have to just maybe skip past the Incredible Hulk, I'm afraid. I think it's just the it's the, the flaw in the in the machine. It's just not working. And then to build on Iron Man with its sequel and make all that money and, and, and to really step it up and move it forward. And then to go to the Norse mythology of Thor and then to tell a wartime story about Captain America. It's quite a diverse phase. Yes. But still grounded, it's still fairly grounded, not mm. too wild and wacky. You know the the it it's still it's it's not Guardians of the Galaxy yet. We're not ready for that. What no? You know, well, no. and ultimately Captain America being essentially you know, the first Avenger of the film, being a one massive prologue for the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, which was also quite a clever move, I think. Yes. And in the interest of um, of the of the the money, before we move on to the Avengers, Captain America did gross over three hundred and seventy million dollars worldwide. So not as much as Thor. No. Which is an interesting point, and you know, a hundred million more than Incredible Hulk. 
Yes. But I wonder if that level of money is enough of a, mm. of a you know, it, it was a gamble. They really were gambling on the Avengers yes. to really cement their kind of position in mm-hmm. the cinema. And how do you feel about the Avengers? Oh, man, that was such a good film. I couldn't believe that we were going to see all these characters on screen at the same time. Um, I remember thinking, like, oh, I wonder how they're going to interact with each other. How are they going to do it? That's what I kept thinking. How are they going to do this? You know, I mean, you had, like, the end of Captain America where he wakes up in modern day. And that was a proper, like, holy shit kind of moment. Like It was. And I was like, shit, I can't believe they're doing this. Um, so then to see him, obviously he's got to adjust to, you know, been frozen for 70 years or whatever it was. Rules, you know, the, the rules of the world that he lives in have now changed. Oh, completely. Um, so he's got to adjust to that. And obviously there are other characters out there that he has to come across. And, and obviously... With Captain America, if you look at his, you know, his morals and his perception of things, it's all about like duty, doing the right thing, etc. Yes. But like that's not how everybody thinks now, and I think he realizes that in the Avengers movie, especially when he like. Yeah, you're right. To be fair, that that whole arc could have been a film by itself. Yeah, I think it's a lot of adjusting for him. And, you know, realise the way, like, Tony Stark is, isn't it? You know, like... I was about to say, having these two characters, they're incredibly different. Mm. Meet. And have to work together. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting thing, okay? So, um, from my point of view, bringing all these characters together, right, was going to be a challenge giving them all something sufficient to do to warrant the film and how I want them all being in the film was also in my head quite a challenge. Mm. How, how, were they all going to have enough screen time? Was one of them just going to kind of walk in, have a cameo, do something and walk away? Like, how, how was it all going to fit together? You're right, that was a big question, wasn't it? And if it was going to work. And I think that what's incredibly interesting about the Avengers is that they chose to go down the route of having them all not getting along. Yes. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't expect that Mm. when I came to see the Avengers because in their own films already, they're already heroes. Whether that be if they started off as dicks and became heroes or the other way around or whatever, they all ended up you know, fighting the, the 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 good fight. You know, the greater good, being the heroes and defeating the villains. So, in my mind, putting all these heroes together wasn't going to create conflict. Mm. And yet, that is the way the film goes. The first two thirds of that film, they are having to learn how to even be in the same room with each other. Yes, probably an ego thing. Totally, and that's probably quite realistic. But in my idealistic corner of the world, I didn't expect that. And I think I quite like it now. I think at first I was a bit like, oh, they all don't like each other. Okay, 
I didn't expect this. This is interesting. Continue. Please carry on. Let me see if I can get get over it and kind of get on board. And I did. I did get on board. And I think it is it is a good film. I don't think it's a great film, but I think it's a good film. Hmm. I'm not sure what exactly is holding me back from going to where greatness is. <laughs> you know, there's there's greatness up high. It's a good film, and I really enjoy it. But something is stopping me from going whole hog. Do you think it's a great film? I'll rephrase this. Do you think it was everything you wanted it to be when it came out Have it at the end of this phase one? Yes, 100%. I agree. I think my, it was for me as well. It was everything I wanted and needed for this film to be. So in that respect, it was a success. It was. It worked. It, was, it gave all these characters. It did actually give all these characters enough screen time, have, have a function, have interesting dynamics and relationships. It did everything it needed to do, and it looked awesome. Yes. Yeah. And also what what occurred to me like after watching the film. Did you notice how there was one specific thing that brought all these characters together in in Avengers Assemble? And that was the Tesseract. Yes. Now I quite like that because it played a part with all the characters, isn't it? Because obviously it was originally in Odin's vault, so that's Thor. Yes. It was the element that Tony Stark used for his Iron Man suit. Yes. It was in World War Two with Captain America. Yep. Um, and obviously Bruce Banner was then um, experimenting on it in the Avengers. Yes, because he was looking for hints of gamma radiation within yes. it. Yes, yes. And then obviously you had Hawkeye and Black Widow who were agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they were supposed to be looking after it. Yes. So it's strange how... And obviously then Loki was coming to get the Tesseract, wasn't he? So really interesting how this, you know, is the first Infinity Stone. I think it's really clever how that was in, like, all the films. But it's almost like we didn't know it. You're we right. Didn't, it's didn't it's, know it's that a, was a device, it. really, isn't it? It's... it's, it's it's a means to an end, but it's quite clever. Yeah. This little little shiny box. Yes. Yes. A warm glow of light for all of mankind to share. Oh, what a lovely sentiment. Yeah. Loki. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so like it it is a good film. Uh, do you know what? It's been a while since I've watched it. Um, when I watch it now, and even when I watched it then, okay. So let's let's talk about the proverbial elephant in the room, okay? I have to I have to bring it up. I don't want to go into too much about it, but we have to talk about the Joss Whedon factor. Mm-hmm. We can't not. He wrote this. He directed this, and I was and am still a big fan of Buffy, Angel, and Firefly, and Dollhouse and all his TV shows that he has done. Uh, I I. Let's uh, let's let's just let's call me let's just call me a big fan. <laughs> let's say that when they came out when I was younger, I was obsessed. <laughs> they were my Doctor Who before Doctor Who was mine. Right. That uh, Joss Whedon was as a writer and a creator of these characters and everything was the pinnacle. Okay, mm. and he has a certain way 
of writing dialogue and it's got a certain rhythm and a certain kind of the sentences have a certain structure that's quite uniquely his. Hmm. And when I watch the Avengers, I can hear Joss Whedon just splattered over every word. There are sentences that these characters say that are so Whedon. It's like a Whedonism or they're Whedon-esque. I don't know what you want, how you want to describe it, but they are so him. And it's the same phrasing he uses for his sentence structure in all of his other TV shows. And it's very hard for me to come up with an example for you because I can't remember any, but those who know will understand what I'm saying, right? And the other um, Marvel films at this point do not have that phrasing, do not have that kind of rhythm of sentence and vocabulary and the way he set, chooses to say things. It just doesn't exist. And actually, even in the Age of Ultron, which just flashing forward ever so slightly for a second, it's less prominent. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's a little bit softened. It's still there, but it's not quite there. But in the Avengers, it's wholly there. It's just there completely. And when I watch it now, it almost takes me out of the film for a moment. Mm. And I and I, I can hear these characters speaking these words that don't necessarily naturally sound like the way they have spoken before mm. and how they speak since. Right. So I'm just gonna that, that's just my kind of I know it's a weird analysis, but it's something that does pull me out of the narrative a little bit when I'm watching it. Is is it like the equivalent of hearing like a Wilhelm scream? In like a <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. The Wilhelm scream. You must know what the Wilhelm scream. What is, What does it mean, Stuart? Wilhelm scream. You should YouTube it. It's like a. It's a specific, um, a specific scream that's used in like a lot of films when characters fall to their death. Oh when, right. Okay. I understand. Once you hear it, you will know it. But like, I, I, I understand. Yeah. But no, I, I, the reason I mention that is because I found that I was like watching films before, and when I noticed Wilhelm scream, watching like a film like later on, and I hear it, and I'm like, oh fuck, there it is again. There it is again. Like, yeah, yeah, it's sort of like that, and it takes me a little while to kind of get back into that rhythm. Right. Um, and, and and that and that is something, and you're already getting into the you know the, the, it's a new film, but if you you know decide to watch this cold. You, you you from you know from watching the thing before i think you would still experience it but if you were to watch it in in sequence of the phase i think mm. you would probably notice it quite a lot yeah because it, it does it does change um and of course you know we've heard everybody's heard a lot about the way that joss whedon runs his sets and the lots lots of controversy and things and apparently it, he is he is not a very good person to work for and uh in a whole lot of ways and i don't really know enough about that to talk about that now i would need to look into it a bit more i've read some things and there is actually a really interesting book that's come out it's kind of centered around the buffy cast um and they've all been interviewed kind of post all this stuff that's come out about him and it's meant to be quite enlightening and i'm it's on my list to read so perhaps i'll read that and we'll talk about joss whedon in a further episode yeah interesting it's, it could be quite interesting and tie it into what he's what how he was with um the justice league etc anyway that was just a little segue that we couldn't not address of course. but the avengers 
I mean, in terms of money, are you all ready for this? <laughs> this film grossed over $1.5 billion worldwide. So, can we talk about the step up from Captain America's $370 million to $1.5 billion? Wow. What a jump. I mean, we can call this a success. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Yes. I mean, in terms of the story, it's it's fairly light on story. Yes, it is. I think it kind of has to be because of all the characters. Yeah. Yeah, I think the focus is more on character interaction over story for this yeah. film. But then it's strange, isn't it? Because this is meant to be like the culmination of the previous five movies or whatever it is. But they're not all sequels to each other, isn't it? No. This is like the thing where they're, mm. they're individual films and they have very thin sort of almost like branches effectively, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Kind it's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Like the like the tree of the world itself. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a really good analogy because that's kind of how this works. And mm. and it's certainly become a forest now of trees. Um totally. continuing the analogy. I think that that's a really good way to describe it. Um so quite a light story. I think for me, standout, absolute standout moment. And the most surprising character and the kind of what I didn't realise I needed in my life was Mark Ruffalo's Hulk. Totally. I, I thought he was fantastic in this film. And this is this is one thing I will praise this film for. The characterization of the Hulk and Eric Banner. No, not Eric Banner. No, Bruce. that's not his name. Bruce Banner. Who on earth is Eric Banner? He's he played the first Bruce Banner. Of course he did. That's why I got confused. Um we'll cut that. I look like a twat. <laughs> Um, so, um, no, but genuinely, the, the characteriz characterization of the Hulk and uh, Bruce Banner and how we learn his secret about how he's always angry and he, as he turns and becomes the Hulk and, like, punches that big alien beast, yeah. that, for me, was a proper fuck yeah moment. <laughs> And I was just like, I think that's probably the point where I realised I bloody love this film. Mm. That's the point. It gets me. Yeah. And it probably is supposed to. It's all gearing up to that moment, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. I remember I, I watched that film in the cinema with my wife, and I remember her saying afterwards, like, uh, she was like, I, I, she, goes, she said, oh, I love the part when, like, the six of them were standing there, and the camera was like panning around them Going all. around them, yes. And the music, and yeah. like, that was such an awesome moment. It was an awesome moment. It's very, um, it's very CG. Mm. It looks very green screen now. Like yes. it, it, it doesn't look completely authentic. Um, but I think the Hulk morphing still does look quite authentic. Well, the Hulk transformation is brilliant. Yes. And actually, interestingly enough, it's actually a move that Joss Whedon has had a hand in before. Ah, hand in. <laughs> um, um, for those who are in the know, in the season finale of Angel, there's a character who um, has a human appearance who 
changes into a demonic appearance kind of mid punch in slow motion and cool. it's a similar sort of yeah so it's quite a nice throwback if you're a fan of that which awesome. is quite nice yeah good. so a really successful end i think to yes. the um first phase and i think this really does this this is this has set the bar quite high to be fair in terms of the MCU the rise and fall you know we are witnessing the rise right now yes in 2012 you understand right now in 2012 <laughs> we have we have reached the end of phase one yeah. which which w- was quite a slow build having said that it didn't happen over a very long time it was may 2008 to may 2012 yeah four years but you know one two three for the six films across four years that is quite a nice number and i feel like like you said earlier i think now it's very oversaturated and we're getting i think perhaps a bit too much and Mm. i think they need to pair back a little bit and give us things a bit slower for us really to kind of kind of marinate in the juices <laughs> of what they're giving us. That's a really gross analogy. Let's go back to the tree. Let us <laughs> swing through this, climb the tree, and let's just swing from branch to branch. Just live at the top of the trees for a bit. You know, I'm thinking all different colours of it's autumn in my head. It's orange, it's reds, it's browns, it's beautiful. There are squirrels. Yes. We are squirrels jumping from tree to tree. I want to live in the trees a bit more and not be choked by all the branches. Yes. That's a better analogy. Forget I said meat and juices. Yeah, let's forget that. How do you feel about phase one then as a whole? I think it's very good. I think um, it's like a slow climb, isn't it? On this, mm. uh, on this like, sort of first mountain. And I think by the time you get to Avengers Assemble, it it makes you realize like oh shit look how much look how many seeds they planted in the other films to get to this point yes but also with a lot of optimism i think when that film finishes the cast the characters and the audience are sort of going okay well that was awesome but what now well yeah because correct me if i'm wrong but at the end of the avengers do we see Thanos? Yes. Is that the post-credit scene? It is. Yeah. So even the so the people at the, by this point, I feel like the excitement about the post-credit scene was really starting to kind of gain some momentum, and it was a really exciting time to be a fan of Marvel. Yes. And at this point, let's be fair. This is where DC was just eclipsed. Yes, completely. Which, you know, is probably uh, a conversation for another episode. But yeah, I think you're right to think that the the um, phase one is is very strong. Mm. I think the only kind of, like I said, the only dud for me would be the Incredible Hulk. But, you know, I might give it another watch. Like you said, it's been a really long time. Yeah. And I wonder how it's aged and I wonder how I would feel watching it again. Yes be interesting to try that i think i i agree i agree any final thoughts Stu? it's it's a bittersweet conversation going back to phase one because 
it's it's like that's when it was good and then you look at where it's at now and it's not a fall from phase one obviously it's the fall comes from phase four in my opinion but oh spoilers <laughs> <laughs> but yeah amazing to see where it started and like i say overall i think the mcu is generally quite consistent at um, this point it was certainly this was this was a this was a rise and i feel like the excitement going into the next phase was palpable yes yes so that's my that's my final thought on it nice nice so as is tradition Stuart, do you have a movie quote for us this week i do oh fantastic please perform it in your patented way your trademark method. I wish to hear some deadpan Welsh. Please. Yes. I don't hear it enough. Ready? I am. Do you know what happens to a toad when it is struck by lightning? Oh! The same thing that happens to everything else. Sorry, I got excited and started laughing. <laughs> oh! Now, for once, I know what you're talking about. I love the delivery. Congrats. Thank you. And, um, I mean, no spoilers, but at some point, we have to attack that fandom. Yes. And that gets me excited. Oh, okay. So, cool. Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode of What's Your Fandom. Please hit the subscribe button and make sure that you never miss an episode. Why would you want to? We're gold. Uh, But if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, that would be genuinely amazing because it would help other listeners to find us you can follow us on tiktok instagram twitter and youtube good grief we are everywhere and all of the links are in the show notes so please Stuart, say your goodbyes goodbye people goodbye people we will catch you in the next episode of what's your fandom ba 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 there we go that's very good. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.